You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Three, two, one. All right, everybody. Uh, my name is Dan Johnson. I am the, I guess, founder of the Sportsman's Nation. I got my own podcast stuff going on. And uh, if you're if you're listening to this episode uh, under the label of the re- Western Rookie, the foundation of this podcast was built. Or no, no, there is no foundation. Real the the foundation of this podcast was built by Chad Riker. And the Backcountry Rookies podcast that we're, we're kind of switching over, like something is coming to an end and out of that, a new thing uh, is started. And so today's guest in this kind of passing of the torch, if you want to say, does that sound right? Like a passing of the torch or? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of dropping for me and you're picking it up. So yeah, I yeah. guess it would be a passing of the torch. Yeah. So um, Chad, like... I, I, I thought I knew what I was going to say when, uh, you know, like we, we talked before we started recording, Hey, we're going to BS our way through this one. But for me, it's just like, it's bittersweet because like how, how long has the, the backcountry rookies podcast, you know, obviously it's done now, but when did, when did it start? Uh, gosh, three, I think it was three and a half. Oh shoot. It's almost four years now because yeah. we're moving into 2022. So I think it was about four years ago yeah. that we kicked it off. And I, I just remember, so I tried to get you as a guest on my show Yeah. and, and I'll tell you, I, I still remember this quite clearly because I, you were on wired to hunt. I think you used to be a guest host or something on wired to hunt. Yep. Right. And, yep. Um, I remember hearing you talk about going to Colorado on like your first or second elk hunt or something. And you're kind of going through the struggles of a Western white or uh, I'm sorry, an Eastern white tail guy that was trying to, to make that, that run, you know, that let's go to Colorado. And I just thought it was 
at the time I didn't even have a backcountry rookies podcast cast released. I think I had like six or seven recorded. And I remember reaching out to you and saying, Hey, I think this, your topic, your, you know, that conversation that you had with Mark Kenyon would line up really good with the backcountry rookies. And, and you said, yeah, well, Hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we run with it on the sportsman's nation? So that's yeah. kind of where it all kicked off. Is, yeah. Um, I've been on it since the beginning, right? Yeah. The, the first backcountry rookies show aired on Sportsman's Nation. So. Yeah. And that's uh, like, you know, I can't help but say thank you. Right. Cause not only like if your, if your podcast was dog shit, I'd be like, uh, you know, like uh bitter, you know, whatever, you know, thanks yeah, a lot. We wouldn't yeah. be having this conversation now, but it's played not a, not only a huge role on, you know, for me and the network's growth, but for you as well. So I guess one of my first questions that I really have for you is in this four year span, you know, whether it's, you know, of podcasting or connections you've made or actually the hunting itself. Talk to me a little bit about what you've learned in the, the uh, past four years that either has made you less of a backcountry rookie and more into a season type hunter, or is this something that just never really ends? Yeah, we're going to need a long time for that yeah, topic, right? I think. But no, so I, it never ends. I really don't think being a backcountry rookie will, will ever go away, at least for me. And um, I don't want to speak for the rest of the hunting community. But I will sort of. I'll speak for most of it. Um, there are the guys out there that think they are the expert, right? Yeah. But um, I think in general, there is a large population of people that are hunters that learn something every year. Even some of the greatest hunters that are out there, I've had them on the podcast, and, and oftentimes they say, man, this is I will be a rookie for the rest of my days. As yeah. long as I hunt, I learn something new, and I always take something away from it. And I think there's a little bit of humility that goes with those kind of statements where if you're always willing to learn something new, you're only going to get better. Yeah. Um, I've learned a ton. So to go back from this, po I, I guess the podcast itself, for those that listen to, to my show back in, you know, from the very beginning that my show started Backcountry rookie started because I, I wanted to pick up Western big game hunting. Um, I had seen some YouTube videos about it and was just very interested in Western hunting. And, um, I didn't know anything about it. I was watching videos. I was listening to podcasts and, and a lot of those podcasts and videos out there, they were very educational, but there was a lot of just random questions that I had that weren't being answered. And I thought, well, I, I could get those answered myself. I yeah. can figure this out and I can start a podcast. So, um, I'm not sure what rabbit hole I was going down with that, but I, I just think that starting from absolutely knowing nothing to where I'm at now, which is really absolutely the knowing nothing. Um, <laughs> a little like, bit more than nothing, I right? Just a, I know a little tiny bit more than I did four years ago. Um, I, I will say though, though, probably the biggest takeaway as far as education and learning that I, that I did learn from the, doing the podcast was get out there and get it and just get after it because opportunity with, without opportunity, you're never going to have success, right? You, right? you can't just sit on the couch and, and kill an elk or a deer or anything from the couch. So you, you got to get out there and you got to try to do it. And the, the podcast is definitely, 
I don't, I don't know that it's provided more opportunity, but it's, it's provided more motivation for me to go. Right. And, um, and I've gone from, you know, I've had a pretty last year, I had a pretty successful year and then I've started out this year already. Um, I tagged out in, in Arizona on a nice mule deer. So I'm starting off pretty good this year. Don't want to, don't want to jinx it, but, um, everything's going pretty good. So. so as far whether that whether that has been like people that you've talked to uh, on as guests on the backcountry rookies or as um, you know as experience experiences in the field, do you have any highlights from the last four years that really stand out that either kind of gave you aha moments or was just like, dude, that you know that is that that definitely shortened the the learning curve for me knowing that. Yeah, my so every year that I did the podcast, I think every year I did a series and I, I plan on to continue to do this series just uh, in, in different ways, maybe through some articles and stuff. But I always did a series that was called Stories from the Season. Yeah. And that series was the, the idea behind it was to bring on good hunters or even rookie hunters or just whoever people that had interesting stories from their hunt or from their season and to bring them on and to let them share that story and basically just give them the microphone and, and, you know, I'd ask a few questions, but really I would just let them talk and, and share their story. And that I learned more by just sitting and listening to people talk about success, failure, what went right, what went wrong, gear that was important just through that whole series. Every year I'd get to do anywhere from 10 to 15 of those. So you know, add that, oh, that's 40 to 50, 60 episodes of just listening to hunters talk yeah. about hunting. And, and, um, that was probably, I mean, I had some great guests on the show. I've had reoccurring guests. Corey Jacobson, of course, has always been one of our good guests and Randy Newberg and Brady Miller. And I could go on and on, but I've had some, some really exceptional people on, but really I think it's that stories from the season that I took the most away from. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I can't even sit here and tell you how many Nine Finger Chronicles episodes that I've done where I talked, you know, and just like you, I've talked to the the people who are more well known, right? They have the Instagram pages and you know, yeah. the Instagram following all the way down to the people who are equally successful in the field, but are no nobodies, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I love the conversations that... Um, I don't know the, the conversations that lead to the the success and and as we all kind of learn is that and we we all kind of hear is that there's a thousand ways to skin a cat right so yeah, yeah. I don't know now from you know from talking to these people and then going out in into the field right with the knowledge that you've gained from talking to some of these people did you feel like it actually shortened the learning curve for you at all I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I really do. And I don't know if it's me talking to, I'll, I'll say that it was me having the opportunity to talk to people because it was a great, you know, by back country rookies is a great yeah. podcast. Right. But, um, I also listen to a lot of other shows and I've, I've just heard a lot of stuff and I spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about hunting and, and whatnot, but there's definitely been people on the show that I've taken things away from. And, um, I guess to expand on that a little bit, a couple of those things is, is one is just go, right? Like I mentioned earlier, just get out there and, and you're not going to kill them from the couch. So um, get out there and go do it. And if you 
don't like the, I think it took three years before I killed an elk. And I, I my, my first elk that I killed last year was a cow, right? I, I had an opportunity to draw or to get a landowner cow hunt here in New Mexico. And, um, I, I jumped on that opportunity just because I knew that it was an, an opportunity to put me in the woods with elk and, and really focusing on elk. So, um, we saw a ton of bulls that weekend or that week that we were out hunting and saw a lot of cows and finally got an opportunity to put it together. So, um, but the, so anyway, just go, I think that was a huge takeaway. And then the other one was, and I've heard a few people say, and I think Corey Jacobson says it a lot too. And it's just slow down and be patient. Cause I, I know the first year that I went, it was, we were just balls to the wall, right? We yeah. were up and down the mountains as fast as we could go. And we were, we were literally walking past herds of elk to go to a spot to maybe find elk. And I, I can't confirm that we were walking past them, but in later years, when I went back and hunted that same area, I was seeing elk in places that I know we walked past to get to these other spots. And, um, just slow down and, and look around and see what's out there and, and just kind of, you know, be patient and, and, uh, you don't got to do 10 miles a day to, yeah. to be into animals when you're in the wild and you're out in the woods, animals aren't 10 miles from everything, you know, right. they're right by the road. <laughs> they're always right by the road. Think about whitetail hunting and, and how many times have you driven down the road and you almost run it, run, run over a buck right. because they just, that's where they're, they're, they're at. Yeah. So you just got to be looking. Yeah. That's a fact. So, you know, on top of that then, right. As a rookie yourself in these past Mm -hmm. four years, and you know, I know better than to say that you, you know, you only know a little bit more than nothing now, but, um, talk about some of the firsts that have happened for you in the field. Like, uh, you killed your first elk. You just kind of told that story, but any other firsts, that happened in the field in the past four years that you were just kind of like, Oh, this was awesome. Uh, well being in the Rocky mountains, uh, that was a, not necessarily a first, but being in Rocky mountains in the hunting scenario was a first leg over leg over leg over deadfall. (laughs) Um, you know, muddy boots, just hammering up and down and up and down and just the cold and, and just being in the elements, um, I've been in the Rocky Mountains before, but you're on a nice groomed trail and, you know, you're, you're bebopping along and you got mileage markers that tell you where you're at yep. on the trail and cross sections from to new trails, right? Everything is kind of laid out and it's very organized. Well, the, that backcountry is not organized at all when you're out hunting or not even the backcountry, just being in the wilderness. Um, so that was a first uh, to do that kind of stuff in in the rocky mountains um antelope i shot that antelope last year that was definitely a first and i hope it's not a last but that those are very difficult tags to draw in in new mexico and and other states so i'm hoping i get to do that again but that was a really really neat hunt that i got to do Uh, meeting new people and hunting with new people i've created some really really amazing friends over the last four years that are they're they're friends forever now you know and i think a lot of that is first too, where 
Well, I mean, you think about it, right? And people will give you a hard time if you if you meet your spouse or significant other on something like whatever on the internet, you know. Yeah. But we're meet we meet hunting partners all the time through the internet and through Instagram, and then you end up linking up with them in the woods somewhere and living in a tent with them for a week. Yeah. And so. There was some first there too, you know, we're just meeting up with people randomly and then you're, like I said, next thing you know, you're in a tent for a week with somebody and, and, uh, all, I mean, you, I could probably go on and yeah. on about the first, but I really think that, that, um, leaving the trail and, and just diving off into a, a ravine, you know, just heading up the side of the mountain or something. That's probably the biggest first that I had. Yeah. I did a lot of crazy stuff in the army, but a lot of it was team effort type of stuff too, yeah. you know, where you might have a, a squad of guys doing some pretty neat stuff. And it wasn't just one or two guys running around with a bow trying to chase an elk around the mountains. Right. So right. different, different game chasing, I guess. But So when it comes to that, then over the last four years, what species did you hunt the most? Uh, probably elk. I think, I, I mean, I've done elk every year since I started and yeah, definitely elk. I, I, I hunt deer every year too out in Arizona, which is it usually that, that hunt usually goes less, um, publicized at least for backcountry rookies. That hunt is really an escape and it's just something I really enjoy doing. I, yeah. I go out to Arizona with some friends and, and, um, I, I actually, over the years I've gotten to be where everything is sort of an escape and I've tried to get away from, pictures and social media and all this other stuff. But, um, I've done deer every year and I've been successful three out of four years that I went out there. And actually the, the first year that I went, I had to opening day, I had to leave. So we had a family emergency and I had been out there on a scouting trip. I was out there for some military training for a few weeks and, um, doing some scouting the whole time I was there during the training graduation day for that training was opening morning and that day I got a phone call that there was a family emergency and I had to leave so I didn't even get to hunt that that first year yeah. so uh, outside of that year every year I've, I've been successful that I've gone to Arizona so yeah um, so yep. let me ask you this now you you've done this for a while now um let's just pretend I have zero experience and I and I run into you Chad and I say dude mm -hmm. Chad I'm really thinking about doing my first Western hunt, whether that is a high country mule deer or, um, or an elk hunt or whatever the Western game is. Um, what kind of general advice would you give to me, you know, being a flatlander or maybe even someone who lives out West, but's never been, but you know, has never been hunting before. Is there any general advice that you think you could pass on to a, a, a brand new, very, you know, very, uh, little to no experience type hunter, Western hunter. Yep, a hundred percent. So I would say don't pay attention to what's going on on all the social media platforms. Don't try to do that crazy high country thing where you're going to be gone away from your truck for seven to 10 days. Um, my advice would be to maybe elk or mule deer and to go out and just enjoy that time, right? Set right. up a nice base camp, build a fire have a cooler full of beer and some ribeye steaks, you know, and but enjoy the time and then get out and go and hunt and, and put that time in for hunting because I see it every year. I'm sure you do too. Um, guys always say, I'm go. this is it, man. I'm going elk hunting this year. I'm 
taken this ultralight tent that I just spent 1100 bucks on for no reason. <laughs> and I'm going in and I'm going in for 10 days straight. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not going to do that, man. You're going to go in for two days. You're going to get cold. You're going to get hungry. Your mountain house is going to taste like shit and you're going to come off the mountain and then you're going to drive home. Yeah. So I, my recommendation is that you go and do set up a nice camp, take a couple of buddies with you and, and enjoy that year because you, that's what's going to bring you back is enjoying the hunt going out there and getting your ass kicked for 10 days straight. It's not fun. Yeah. You know that it just, it really, really isn't. And it takes a level of dedication that when you hear all these people on social media and, and, you know, podcasts and all these things, and they talk about how they did this crazy 10 to 14 day thing that isn't, that's not their first year doing it. A lot of the people that are doing that kind of stuff have been doing this for years and they've built themselves up to that. And that first couple of years they did hunt from a base camp somewhere, you know, and then they built themselves up. And, and then the other thing to play on that is I also always encourage people to maybe you don't have that $1,100 tent, but you can pick one up for 60 bucks at Walmart. Okay. It's probably going to be a couple pounds heavier than that $1,100 one. Throw it in your backpack and go try to spend two nights, right? So you got right. this this big, nice base camp set up, and it's really comfortable, and, and you're having a good time. Well, go out and try to spend the night in this tiny little tent, at, you know, two or three miles from the truck and see how that goes. Um, tiptoe in the water is basically what it is. Don't If you don't know how to swim, there ain't no reason to jump right. off the 30-foot diving board into the deep end, you know? Right. So right. take your time and get there. Yeah. Um, that first year that we went, there was some, so we had those expectations and we had those ideas that we were going to go. I had all this mapping software, right? And I did all this stuff and I planned all this huge hunt out and I'd never even been out to the hunt area. Um, and that we got about halfway up the mountain back into the area we were going to camp. One of the guys we were with had altitude sickness and we had to pull ourselves off and we ended up setting up a base camp by the trucks. And as it turned out, we had an awesome first, we spent like six days out there, I think. And we had a great time. Like I said, we had a campfire. We had, we had some beers. We, we, we had stuff to cook and it was just a really nice trip. And then, so that was the memory that I had going into the next year when I was looking at putting a hunt together and putting some stuff together. That was the memory I had, not sitting on a mountaintop with not enough clothes and yeah. way too cold of temperatures and, you know, just going through no water and all of that. That That's not the memory you want. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, man, I, I had your, your comments there kind of just reflected what my experience in Idaho for my first ever elk hunt was. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> I like this story. I love this story. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, you're gun ho, you're gun ho. It's, it's not that the motivation really isn't there, but then when the expectation and all the work that you've done in preparation and planning hit that reality wall is what I'll call it. Mm-hmm. There's no way around it. I mean, you just are defeated instantly and, yep. and, and everything from, man, I should have done maybe some cardio in my prepping and not just, yeah. you know, not just walking or, yep. you know, lifting weights or I should have maybe uh, set my tent up and checked to see if there was a hole in the floor of it that, you know, when it rained, I wouldn't get an inch of water in it. And, you know, like all these things, instead of actually enjoying myself 
it was it was a just a week of punishment is what it felt like and that one experience I needed it though. You know what I mean? Like I needed that experience to say, I have to switch. I'm back to the drawing board and I have to switch everything up. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. And that's why my, usually my first thing of advice is even, um, just do that, that base camp and a base camp can be super cheap and air mattress. If you're archery elk hunting in Colorado in September, it's not cold. Well, it can be, but it's, it's, you could throw an air mattress in the back of your truck, you yep. know, and, and a good sleeping bag and you're good to go. You are barely out any money except for the tag, you know, the out of state tag. But, um, whereas you can also get into the whole thing for three to $5,000 yeah. and then you go out there and you get your ass kicked and you never go back yeah. and then you're sitting on a pile of stuff that you're never going to use. So, yeah. um, I definitely always recommend that. And then I, I like I said, I, I recommend just maybe a couple of nights where you go out, sleep somewhere in the woods or, yeah. or do whatever and see how that's going to go for you. It might suck and you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Why don't you yeah. elaborate a little bit on, the the gear discussions that you've had with some of these people and then kind of mix that in with your own personal experience you know you mentioned you don't need to have a a two thousand dollar tent right Uh, to to get the job done or to go out and have fun and experience these hunts but i'm sure after this four years there's some products or some gear that you're like man definitely spend the money here not here yeah definitely Uh, a good layering system is is crucial i would say critical and when i say that i'm not talking i don't care what if it's a hunting brand or if it isn't i've there's been a lot of times where i get out there and i'm so excited to start hunting that i'm just in like a pair of i I wear a piranha stretch zion pants that are fairly cheap and i wear them a lot and there's been times where i've just gotten to the hunting area i get my camp set up and i'm in my piranha pants and maybe you know just like a base layer type shirt and i'll throw on a mid-layer and i go yeah. Right. And I, it, I don't care that I'm not wearing the fancy newest, latest, greatest, whatever. Um, so, but I say that and, and what I'm saying is, is just a good layering system. If you need a base yeah. layer, have something decent. I don't care what brand it is. And then a pair of pants that are right for the conditions. And I say that because I've seen a lot of people go out to Arizona and they try to wear some kind of really neat pants. And before you know it, they're just shredded because everything in Arizona has pokey and it'll pull on you. So everything's a thorn. And, um, you know, you you can choose the right pair of pants to get out there and do a a nice base layer. So a good layering system. And then um, I have a good tent that's a good backcountry tent. It's it's nothing really fancy. It's a, a big Agnes something or other, and I don't even remember what brand it is. But um, where I did put some money into that I think was was really really nice is I bought a canvas tent that it's a one man setup that I can set up by myself in like five minutes, and it's got a huge ten by fourteen footprint, and. Uh, that thing is phenomenal. I don't care. Last year we were turkey hunting. We got like eight inches of snow dumped on us right in the middle of the turkey hunt, and that canvas tent was perfect. Yeah. Arizona, I got dumped on with rain. That canvas tent was perfect. Um, super duper cold. I throw a little buddy heater in there with a propane tank, and it keeps it warm enough to where I don't even need a super great sleeping bag, honestly, because it yeah. just keeps that bite off. But um, that thing goes with me everywhere. 
So there was even I did a one night overnighter up in northern New Mexico, and I I took that big canvas tent with me and set that thing up and slept super comfortable in it just because it's it's big and heavy, right? It's, it weighs like ninety pounds because so you're not going to backpack it in anywhere. Yeah. But if it's just you're at the truck, man, I five minutes I got that thing set up with a cot and a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag and a little heater, and I put a table in there. I can cook inside of it. One year I took my iPad and had a bunch of Netflix downloaded off of my <laughs> iPad and I sat there watching movies. Like it's comfortable all, to me. It's comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Comfortable. I can be comfortable. And then, like I said before, that makes me want to go back and re-experience that sometime. And it yeah. puts me back out in the field. So yeah. what about uh, good boots are, are big. Good yeah. backpack is, is a thing. And I won't to everybody. There's a bunch of different brands out there. So I'm not going to talk about brands. Yeah. I just think. Um, you know, you look into that and try them on and make sure it's the right type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, binoculars have been key, especially for that Arizona deer hunt. Optics are everything right. out there when it, when I go on that hunt. Yeah. Yeah, man. And you know, it's crazy. Cause just like, you know, like I I've, I've, and I'm, I think you've been on the, the hunting gear podcast before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. what you, what you find out from talking to so many people is like, it's all about the individual, right? Some yep. people can get away with, uh, you know, just like for me, I, you know, I, I can get away with not having the best quality clothing. Like it doesn't bother me that I don't have the, the, the big name brand hunting clothes. Right. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I, for me, the, you know, and then breaking that down even more, like you said, it's important to have good base layers. But then after that, for me personally, like, I can stay warm a, a different way than having a, a complete setup from somebody or, yeah. um, you know, the tent has to be this kind or the sleeping bag has to be this kind or the, you know, all these things, you find your comfort level, you, you see what makes you happy while you're out there doing it. And then for me, it's just, I stick with that, right? I don't, I don't typically yeah. bounce around or, or change anything up really, unless it fails me while I'm out there. And I'll just use a perfect example. I was, uh, what was it? Not this past year, but the year before I backpacked in two miles. Um, I set up my, my camp for a public land mule deer hunt and I had everything that I needed for five days. Right. And I said to myself, I'm, I am going to stay out here for five days. The first day I get out there, everything's going, I brought in, I brought in some water because I didn't necessarily know where the water was going to be, but I knew that there was some out there somewhere. And so when I finally was cycling through my water on the more, the after in between the morning and afternoon, like after the morning hunt, I said, oh, I'm going to go fill up my water bottles and then I'll, you know, I'll go and, uh, um, go on my afternoon hunt. Well, my my filter just cracks and breaks and mm -hmm. so i'm just like now all i have is to i have pills you know like iodine pills or whatever they are to clean the water but i have nothing to filter out the junk that's floating around in this water that i that i found right? yeah it's just like muddy and kind of mossy and uh so um so i i was planned but then an obstacle hit me and that obstacle was I had to drink for the rest of that day and the next morning. I had to drink gross-tasting water. It was clean, but gross-tasting, right? Mud yeah. and junk. And eventually, I had to go back to the truck and get clean water. And I, I packed out everything with me uh, and, and 
made a new game plan. But how much of what you've heard and what you've learned, it, you know, as equally as being prepared is how, how to adjust when you, when you hit an obstacle out there? Because sometimes, yes, you may be in your truck, but you're still a long ways from the, a main road or, or a tow truck or, a, you know, having someone help you. Yeah, some of that's just don't panic, yeah. really, you know, and just deal with the situation that you're dealt. I think I overlook a lot of the adversity type stuff just because I've been the, the military has trained me and prepared right. me for that, no doubt. Um, but I think a lot of it is just don't panic. Like yeah. they're in that situation, some people would probably be like, oh, my God, I'm not there's no way I'm going to drink this water. Yeah. And then it spirals all the way down to where they're back at the truck and then they won't go more than a mile away from the truck for fear that there's going to be a water situation. Um, and it, it's really just looking at that dirty water and saying, yeah, well, this, this is what we got. So that's what <laughs> Might we're have to chew do. it before you swallow yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> we even chew it up a little bit. They'll still get hydrated, but that's right. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's some of the, I, like I said, I, I just don't really get, and I, and I try not to put myself in, a situation like that yeah uh and i'll get so i had a water filter example or uh i i that situation happened to me too where it froze and cracked and broke luckily for me it was at the truck and i was able to overcome it right away um but i cut now i kind of look at that situation so if i'm hunting out in the summertime or like my antelope hunt it was 105 degrees every day i wasn't worried about water filters freezing so i carried a water bladder that was full of water and then I would just drink that, you know, water straight from the bladder. But I was, I have a filter that's in line so I can just drink whatever yep. clean or dirty water. And, um, then, so that was fine. But if it's going to be cold out, I will just throw bottles of water. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh my God, that's so heavy. Eh, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'll just put bottles of water in there instead of the, the water bladder because I don't, I don't want that to happen to me, right? I don't yeah. want them to freeze up. Um, I'll shove them in there. I'll put them kind of in my puffy layers. And four or five bottles of water should get me all day. You know, it should be just enough to to get me through. Yeah. Plus, then it's already separated. And if I want to make a cup of coffee, I can use a bottle of water or half a bottle or whatever and, and make a cup of coffee. And then I've got more. Um, but I kind of look at the different types and times of year that I'm, that I'm going to hunt too, and how that hunt's going to be with how much water I take. Cause water is heavy. So yeah. you got to really, I mean, it is a really, really something to consider yeah. no matter what hunt you're doing. Um, if you're doing one of those high country deals where you're going to be gone for a certain number of days and man, I I've heard of people where they'll go in for a scouting trip and they'll pack in four or five gallons of water in a backpack just and they'll stash it, right? They'll yeah. like bury it under a tree or something so they know that they've got a, a little reservoir kind of or a stash of water for when they are out there on the hunt when it's going to be a lot longer. Yep. And I mean, it, you got to kind of think ahead about stuff like that. Yep, so. yep absolutely. And yeah. it's something that for me, I, I would always take that stuff for granted because I'm just like, well, if I'm in a tree stand here in Iowa and my feet start to get cold, I'm just going to go back to my truck or, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, ah, there's no deer moving and I'm just going to go back to my truck. But the, the thought process that you have to put into everything is just much bigger. And yeah. there, there's more planning uh, with on every level that I've, I've had to teach myself over the years where it's just like, you can't, you know, like you can't just say, fuck it. 
right? Yeah. You, you have yeah. to, you have to be able to just, all right, well, how am I getting out of this? How am I going into it? You know, it's almost like cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. And so one thing with water, I'll tell you this too, is I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Even if I do have a water bladder, there's always two bottles of water in my, in my pack. Sometimes yeah. it's an Nalgene bottle or whatever, because yeah. those, those water filters can break. You can bust a hole in the bottom of your bag. And at least, you know, you've got enough water to where if you're a couple of miles in, you've got enough to get back to somewhere, right. To, right. to get to a spot where you can filter something or, or, you know, get some, get some water. So, yeah. uh, just kind of thinking about that. And that's happened to me. And in the past I had a, there was a time in, in Colorado where we were out of water and we were struggling to get to a Creek that we could, um, where we could filter it. And, you know, ultimately we got there and we got water filtered, but, um, it kind of sucked in yeah. the meantime, right. That last couple of miles was pretty rough. So, yeah, that's a fact. Uh, just always have, yeah, food and water is like the only thing. If you've got enough to get you a couple of days, and I have a these great big, they're super high-calorie, high-carb bars. Um, I think they're called meal-to-go or something. I don't remember. But I always keep one of those, like, shoved in the back of my pack that's usually in my water bladder pouch. And that stays in there, and then I always have those two bottles of water. So if yeah. something should happen, there's enough food to keep me fed for – a while yeah. and then a couple of bottles, you know, if you really reduce your physical exertion and you're moving at a minimum pace, you can get pretty far on a couple of bottles of water. Yeah. Especially yeah. like, like you said in your, on your Arizona hunt, which is in a way similar to my, uh, planes hunt and you know, my mule deer hunts where mm -hmm. a lot of it is just, yeah, you, you put out the physical exertion to get to somewhere and then you're just sitting there and all you're, you're doing, there all day. Yeah. And you're there all day. <laughs> yep. You're glassing. Yeah. Well, let's go. Yep. Well, I can't find anything. Let's go. Maybe let's just pop over the next little ridge or basin and, and then do it again. But most yeah. of the time yep. of all the, of all the hours in that day, you're sitting still for the most part. Yep. So, yeah. So what's, um, you know, I want, I'm going to ask the what's next question, but it's a two-parter. Let's talk about okay. what kind of hunts, what's next as far as hunts for uh, 2022? Well, so good question. Uh, I'm still waiting on draw results and there's applications yeah. in throughout the West. Um, I did the Arizona hunt, so that one's out of the way. And then um, probably going to wait until uh, last year I did a turkey hunt and I did a couple of little weekender bear trips here in, in um, the turkey hunt was here in New Mexico and then early fall I, I had some bear stuff and then uh, I think I'm going to reduce that this year my my wife told me last year I think she told me I was gone 37 days last year yeah and um, that's a lot so I'm going to try to reduce that and when the when the results come out as far as what's drawn then um, that'll really yeah put a role you know it'll play a role I'm sure there'll be something here in New Mexico and then I've got points so I'm kind of getting to that point where I've been building points for the last four or five years and I'm getting enough to where I need to start burning them and starting a rotation yeah so I've got I've got enough in in Wyoming where I think I'm gonna uh, burn my points and go do a Wyoming mule deer hunt and I'll apply for antelope up there too I, I may not draw but I'll apply yeah um, is that gonna be an archery hunt you think Nope, that'll be rifle. Rifle, okay. I'm gonna go. So I'm trying to save on my application strategy. I did uh, all my elk stuff is archery, and then anything outside of elk is rifle. That's gotcha. kind of the way I'm set up. So antelope, 
and mule deer are um so i'm looking at colorado mule deer rifle and then wyoming mule deer rifle and then hopefully i'll draw another muzzleloader mule deer tag here in in new mexico and hopefully an elk tag in new mexico nice nice so yeah, full yeah, we'll could see. be a full plate it could be, it could be a not so full plate right or it could be absolutely nothing yeah. but either way i'm certain that somebody that there'll be an elk hunt somewhere it may not be my tag but i'll be out helping somebody or yeah. you know i'll be i'll be on an elk hunt somewhere yeah. and i could put in for colorado i just i don't know i did colorado my first few years and and when you start to see other opportunities um in different states, I, I think I start looking at, at those where I've gathered some points because Colorado, in my opinion, it's, it's awesome. It's a great place to start, right. And right. to learn and to see if it's something that you're going to be interested in. And you get that over the counter tag and you and somebody's go out and you do your first elk hunt or your first few elk hunts. And I think you've done the same thing. You and Adam yep. are out there. Yep. And I, I think it's a really good place to cut your teeth and to get out there and to try it out. And then in the, the meantime, this is what I did, right? And I'm not saying what I did is right or wrong or whatever. It's, it's just what I did. Um, in the meantime, I was doing Colorado, but I was buying points in other states. Yeah. So like I said, now I'm to that point where – like if I go do my, this Wyoming hunt, that's still, I'm still going to collect a couple more points in Arizona. I'll still collect points in Colorado. And then maybe next year I burn some Arizona points and, you know, I add more. So it's now it's just a, a juggle game of, of trying to juggle it from here on out. But, yeah. I feel you. Um, I, so that's that. I couldn't make my decision up if I wanted to apply for elk this year in Wyoming. I got a stack of points that I'm debating, but just... I don't know the way I, I wasn't prepared to put in the application, uh, yeah. basically. So I let that expire. I'll buy another preference point for, um, preference points for Wyoming again. And, uh, I think this, this year is going to be another mule deer whitetail year. Um, and then, well, I may go to Colorado for elk, but that's kind of like, uh, if the rest of the plans kind of fall through type deal. Yeah. Right. So, right. On the opposite side of what your wife said, my wife told me this year, and she's probably going to regret saying it, but she said, oh man, this hunting season wasn't that bad. And that to me equals, I can throw another hunt in somewhere. There you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it. Yeah. And I could too. Mine told me the other day, she said, why don't you plan some spring hunt? Like last year I did the turkey hunt. And yeah. This year I said, well, I was thinking of maybe going to Arizona for a spring bear hunt. And, and then as I started really looking at the application strategy and I was like, man, I'm probably going to be either on my tag or someone else's tag. I'll be hunting elk here in New Mexico. I'm hoping either me or somebody else. And then with that Colorado and the Wyoming thing, I just, I decided I, I'm not, unless there's this very rare spring, uh, bear hunt draw that you can get here in New Mexico. It's really, there's only like one or two very small units that have it. And if I applied for that and if I would draw that by some chance, then I'll go hunt that for sure. But yeah. Um, otherwise I'm just going to hang out here at the house and earn some brownie points. I know for a fact, I've got some work trips coming up. They're going to take me away from home and although they're not hunting trips, it's still time away from home that That's the wife's running the house, you know, and it's, yep. it's, it's, it might as well be a hunting trip. Yeah. So it doesn't uh, matter I, what the, what it is. You're not, yeah, home. yeah, you're not home and you're not helping with the chores and the dogs and whatever else. Yeah. So, um, I kind of have to, 
I put that into the plan too, you know, where I got to think about some of that. So, yeah. um, it's going to be, he- hopefully it's a real heavy fall and, and I'm able to be on a couple of deer hunts and fingers crossed an elk hunt somewhere. Yeah. I, mean, I could go to Colorado in last year. I think it was, no, no, two years ago. It was my first year. I lived in New Mexico. I made the, I was, so it was my first year at my new job and I had no vacation so I was just going up during September on, I would drive up Friday night after work. I would hunt Saturday and part of Sunday. And then I would drive home yeah. and I did that like three weekends. And that's, I could do that too, but that kind of sucks really. Yeah. Cause I was by myself too. So if I shot an elk by myself on Sunday morning, I wasn't making it back to work the next yeah. day. There's no way I was yeah. going to make. So really it was kind of bad planning on my part. And, and there was a realization about halfway through where I was like, this is just, I'm just out here for no reason really. Yeah. Cause I'm in, I'm going to be in trouble if I shoot something. Yeah. And that's one thing that that's a big learn right there is mm-hmm. when I'm in a, when I'm in a whitetail type scenario, I can shoot a deer, probably drag it back to the truck, depending on where I'm at, quarter it up, go. Right. But out there, there is a, yes, I, the, the hunt is scheduled for, to end on, let's just say a Saturday, but the real hunt ends on a Friday. So if, if it's past this certain time on a Friday, then I'm not leaving on Saturday. You know what I mean? So just like right, what, right. what you said. So, yeah. um, or if you kill and, and all that stuff goes on, which I have yet to experience any type of elk pack out in big terrain, like, uh, um, in big terrain, like, uh, Colorado and someday that's the, that's the, the whole goal, right. Is to experience that. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, that's, that was my realization. So I had hiked into an area and I was calling in bulls. Um, I had them coming in on me, right? Like I was in very good situations each time I was up there and the realization hit me when I realized it took me two hours to get from my truck to the area where I was in the elk. And then it was taking me about two hours to get back to the truck. And I thought, man, that's, that's four hours without a hundred pounds on my back, right? That's just with like 30 pounds of a day pack. And, and then I thought, okay, well then I got to scan and quarter this thing out and get it hung up in the trees. There's going to be some more time there. Um, and the whole real estate, basically what it boiled down to was it was going to be about 24 hours of me literally nonstop moving by myself to get that thing out of there. And that's, that's when I was like, no, I'm not, there's no sense in me being up here goofing off. Like I said, I'm just going to, and then it was hot too. So likely I probably would have lost some of that meat and whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those, that was a big lesson learned was to really take into consideration that yeah. timing and, and how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Part yep. two now of the what's next type scenario yeah. is, so is backcountry rookies done or are you like, what's next for backcountry rookies? Yeah. So I'm not done at all. Um, social media is still out there and we still have the, you know, a good Instagram page and all of our stuff on Facebook and, um, the, the private group and all of that. So we'll still be pretty active on the Instagram and then backcountry rookies. So there's, there's, I've got some deals with some other companies out there where I'm going to start doing some writing and some collaboration, you know, and, and some stuff for companies. Um, I think it's going to work out really, really good for, for backcountry rookies. And the, so the real struggle for me was timing 
with a new job and, and working like I was and trying to crank out a couple of podcasts a week. And, you know, it was just becoming a bit overwhelming and something needed to drop. So, and I was still already writing articles, you know, and I was doing some stuff on the back end already. Yeah. So the idea was just to, I, to take down the podcast, at least for now and see where things go. But no, nope, there's definitely, um, talks and, and I'm in talks all the time. You know, I've made a lot of very good friends across the industry over four years, you know, and, and so there's a lot of talk about what to do next. And, and, um, there's some meetings coming up with some companies and we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but definitely not gone. It's, um, when I started it, it was a really, uh, the whole idea behind it was to prepare, inspire, and educate. And we always, we always called that our pie philosophy is prepare, inspire, and educate. And the whole idea behind the backcountry rookies was that. And, and I think we've done that over the last four years and we don't really want to stop. So we'll keep it going. Just different platforms and different, different, uh, yeah. different presence. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, uh, Chad, man, first off, I want to say thank you for all the contribution that the backcountry rookies and you have done to the sportsman's nation. I'm excited to see where you go after this. And I know we've talked about it before, but in some way, shape or form in the future, whether it's in one year or whether it's in five, 10 years, we got to do a hunt together. And, uh, so might be Wyoming mule deer, man. Hey, there you go. There you go. So, um, yeah. Well, Dan, I got to say the same to you too. Thank you because there was that opportunity in the beginning where where it started out as being a podcast guest and then it turned into being part of the Sportsman's Nation. So I, I want to say thanks to you and um, for everything that that you did for backcountry rookies over the years too. Yeah, absolutely. And good luck with with your those, this new podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I will end with this. Hopefully we can get you on as a guest of this every once in a while and and you can give your two cents and uh, talk about the nothing that you know. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can talk about nothing all day long. <laughs> exactly. Give me a chance. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Chad, man, really appreciate your time and everything you've done and, and good luck this upcoming fall. Thank you. Maybe after the draw results come out, we'll talk about what what's next. 